0: This message is brought to you by Moira Pentecostal Church. We hope that it will encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your walk with God. Isaiah 9, verse 6 For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And particularly that last few words, He should be called Prince of Peace. The world has known very little peace ever since Cain slew his brother Abel. Murder has been in the heart of man. It's reckoned that in recorded history, there's only been 10% of time that has been known to be a time of peace. One of those times was under the Roman Empire. They called it the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. But it was a forced peace. It was a peace that people had to put up with because nobody could fight against the might of Rome at that time. Somebody said that peace is that brief moment in time when everybody stops to reload. And that seems to be the way. Nation against nation, people against people, community against community, families torn apart, families divided. Somehow or other, the Prince of Peace has been excluded. (laughs) And yet, the part of the great Advent story is that God sent his son the Prince of Peace, and he has come. Peace is a wonderful thing. It eludes so many people. What a wonderful thing it is tonight to have the peace of God in your heart and to be at rest. Lots of people are not at peace tonight. Worried, sick, circumstances of life has overwhelmed them. But in spite of all of it, when you can have the peace of God... New Testament speaks of three kinds of peace. Speaks about peace with God. Speaks about the peace of God. And peace from God. And very quickly tonight, that's what I want to share with you. Human nature is rebellious. It's selfish. It's deceitful. In James chapter 4 verses 1 to 3 in the New Living Translation, it puts it this way. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it the whole army of evil desires that war within you? You want you want what you do not have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous for what others have, and you can't possess it. So you fight and quarrel to take it away from them. And yet the reason that you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. What scenes did we see last week on television on Black Friday when the sales were on? When grown men and women were fighting over cheap televisions. When they were pushing and shoving and some of them actually get into fisticuffs over a TV or a DVD. How ridiculous, but it shows you the heart, the greed, the avarice, the want to, the desire to have. Seems to override even common sense. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.18 says that we were alienated from the very life of God. And in Colossians 1.21 he says, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now has he reconciled. How did God reconcile us to himself? How did a holy God recognize a sinful man to himself? Well, Colossians chapter 1 tells us a little bit about this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, in Christ that is, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things in earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of this cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, Yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So in other words, God sent his son to reconcile us back to himself. Job in the Old Testament was going through an awful time. He had lost everything. His sons, his daughters, in one day were killed. He lost all of his riches, all of his wealth, all of his goods, all of his cattle, everything. Even his wife turned against him and said, curse God and die. And not only that, but his friends came and blamed him. And said, because there's hidden sin in your life that God is judging you. And he was in a terrible state because in his heart he believed that he was righteous. He believed that he hadn't done anything wrong. And so he was looking for a mediator, somebody to come between God and himself, God and man, and mediate between them. And in Job chapter 9, 32 and 33, he said, For he, for God, is not a man as I am, that I may answer him. And that we should go to court together. For is there any, nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on both of us? Job was looking for somebody who fully, completely understood him as a man, and yet fully and completely understood God as God. Is there not a mediator? Is there not somebody who can lay a hand upon God, lay a hand upon us, and bring us together? And of course, there's only one who could do that. And God had such a one. His only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why he had to become man. To fully and completely understand man. As a human being, he took upon himself the nature, the human nature of man, yet without his sin. And yet he was God, and he fully understood God. He was Emmanuel, God with us, the incarnate Son of God. God embodied in human flesh. So that he could take the hand of God, and he could take the hand of man, and he could reconcile us back together. (laughs) Because he understood God perfectly, he understood man perfectly. Isaiah 59, verse 15 and 16, So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. In other words, he gave himself and his son to be a mediator between God and man. This is why Paul says there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. There's just one. There can only be one. Romans 5 and 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, and I want to just read this from the, again, the, the New Living Translation. In Ephesians 2, reading from verse 11, Paul writes, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders by birth. You were called the uncircumcised ones by the Jews, who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from God's people, Israel. You did not know the promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you belong to Christ Jesus. Though we were once far from God, but now you've been brought near to him because of the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has made peace between us Jews and you Gentiles by making us all one people. He has broken down the wall of hostility that used to separate us. And by his death, he ended the whole system of Jewish law that excluded the Gentiles. His purpose was to make peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new person from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. He has brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far from him and to us Jews who were near. Now all of us, both Jews and Gentiles, may come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's holy people. You're members of God's family. We are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We who believe are carefully joined together, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. And through him you Gentiles are also joined together as part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And so God sent his son to break down barriers. Not just between himself and man, but between man and man. The reason why we have wars is because man is at war with himself and he's at war with his neighbor because in the heart of it is at war with God. He may not know that, but he is until he finds peace with God. Then he can find peace with himself and then he can find peace with his neighbor. The Lord Jesus, after his resurrection in John 20, he met with his disciples and he said to them, Peace be with you. And he held out his hands to show show them his hands and his side. Why did he hold out his hands to show them the scars on his hands and his side? To remind them and to let them know that the only way he could have provided peace for them with God was through his sacrifice on the cross. That's why Isaiah said and prophesied that the chastisement Of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And so, thank God, we can have peace with God no longer hostility between us, no longer under his judgment. But now we look at God as our heavenly Father. But then there's the peace of God. Jesus in John 14, verse 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The cure for a troubled heart is to put your trust and your faith in Christ. And in verse 27, it says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's a great promise and a great verse in the days that we live. Watch your television. Watch the news. You would have lots of reasons to be troubled. Lots of reasons to be anxious. And that's why you've got to look at Christ and what he says. And he says to the believer, don't let your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Put your trust in me. Notice the two kinds of peace here though. The peace that he leaves and the peace that he gives. One is peace with God. That's the peace that he leaves. One is the peace of God. That's the peace that he gives. One is the outworking of salvation. One is the indwelling of the Savior. F.B. Meyer, that great old preacher of old, he said, one's a legacy, an inheritance. It is something bequeathed. It's as in a will or testament. That's what he leaves. The other is simply a gift to be accepted and act upon. That's what he gives. My peace I give unto you. That's why he could say, let not your heart be troubled. Think of the quality of the peace that was in the heart of Jesus. Nothing ever perturbed him. No matter what was going on, he was calm. There was only that time when he wrestled in that garden when all hell was coming against him and he knew what he was facing. But apart from that, for the most part, he went through life completely calm. His enemies were lined up against him. He was rejected by men, but he went on with a calmness and a quietness. That peace, he said, that peace I give unto you. Boy, we miss that, don't we? How many times are we in panic mode? I include myself on that. How many times are we in panic mode? You get that initial bad news, that telephone call, that letter, whatever it may be. And for that moment you're in panic mode. And then you say, wait a minute wait a minute. And you pray. And you let the peace of God come into your heart. My peace, I give unto you. Not as the world gives. You see, the world's peace is the absence of conflict. It's when everything is going well. It's when the conditions are all right. When all your ducks are in a row. But then anybody could be at peace at that. That's no different, is it? I mean, anybody, even if the biggest rascal in town, could have a peace if everything was going well. That's when things are not going well. And yet, in spite of it, you can have a peace in the middle of it. That's beyond natural explanation. That surpasses all. Understanding, the Bible says. That's the peace that Christ gives. Paul puts it this way. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. How could we do that? How could we be anxious for nothing? Well, he tells us. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Why thanksgiving? Because Thanksgiving, you're looking back and you're looking at the answers that God has already given last month, last week, last year. And when you start to thank God for the times he came through for you then, it helps you right now. Be anxious for nothing but by everything by prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving. Let your requests be made unto God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart's and your minds through Christ Jesus. Peace with God, the peace of God, and then peace from God. Every epistle that Paul ever wrote, he always begins with this introduction. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The only exception is when he writes to the two pastors Timothy and Titus and he says grace, mercy and peace be unto you. But grace and peace was his great salutation. When he wrote to the church he always introduced that note. Grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is a Greek salutation, charis. Peace is a Jewish greeting, shalom. And shalom simply means, well, we know what grace means, it's undeserved, unmerited favor, but shalom means peace, tranquility, safety, well-being, health, contentment, success, comfort, and wholeness. And that's what Paul Greeted the church with. That was his desire for the church. That's God's desire for the church. That you be well. That you be at peace. That you have wholeness. That you feel safe. That you're tranquil. That you're content. That you're comforted. That's lovely, isn't it? It's a lovely greeting. Shalom. Shalom whether it's a greeting or whether it's a goodbye, because when Jews, when they say shalom, they say shalom when they meet you, they say shalom when they're leaving you. The angel's message in Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards man. The book of Revelation, the Apostle John wrote it, and he uses that same greeting that Paul uses. Grace and peace be unto you. Revelation 1 and 4, that's how he introduces his letter to them. (laughs) Grace and peace be unto you. Isn't that interesting? In that book which is full of judgment in that book where trumpets are sounding and the judgments of God are rolling forth whenever sails are being broken and the judgments of God are released upon the earth whenever vials and bowls are being poured out and the judgment of God is flooding the earth and the sea is turned to blood and the moon is turned to blood and the sun refuses to shine. And there's pestilence, and there's earthquake, and stars are falling from heaven, and millions are marching towards Armageddon for the mother of all wars, the biggest war the world will ever know, and all that the judgment of God. And yet, right at the very start of it, John writes, Grace and peace be unto you. You see, that's God's heart. God's heart is not judgment against man, it was peace for men. When the angels came, the first message was peace and goodwill be to men. When Jesus and that post-resurrection is, peace be unto you, that's his heart for man. And even before the judgment falls, John's writing peace and grace be unto you. That's the heart of God. But man didn't want God's peace. They didn't want God's grace. They wanted to rebel against God. They wanted to shake their puny fist at God. We will not have this man to rule over us. And you know, when you get right down to it, that's why people don't get saved, because they want to live their own lives and rule their own lives. They don't want him to rule their lives. And that's the difference. But the trouble is, if we refuse his peace and we refuse his grace, there's nothing left but judgment. Not that he wants to give it, He's doing everything he can to get us to avoid it. He sent his only son to die on the cross to give man grace and to give him forgiveness and to give him peace. But if man does not accept that, there's nothing left but judgment. But thank God for his peace tonight. And the story of Advent is that God was sending peace to man to change man's hearts towards him a reconciled man back to himself. And that cost the death of his own son. That cost the blood of his own son on a Roman cross. That was the great price that had to be paid. So much so that the father couldn't even look upon it, had to turn his face away when the son was down on that cross. What a sacrifice to give you peace tonight to give me peace how could we refuse god's offer of peace it's the greatest invitation isn't it and when you accept his invitation your life is changed forever amen Amen. let's pray Lord, as we begin our Advent season and our thoughts turn towards Christ's coming to this earth help us, Lord, not to miss the purpose of it is all the materialism and all of the partying and the fun and all that goes with it help us not to miss the real point of it that Christ came to give us the peace of God he came to give us peace with God He came to give us peace from God. So we thank you for that. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit that convicted our hearts and turned us to your son. We give you thanks for your grace and for your peace tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more messages like this one, visit us online at www.mpc.org.uk. You will also find a selection of informative videos at youtube.com forward slash Moira